Welcome back to another episode of In the Shoes of, a.k.a. Itzo. Just an FYI, I'm still going through a list of applicants for a new host of the podcast. And there have been a lot of phenomenal people that have applied, so that makes it a little bit difficult. But whoever it is that's going to be hosting this show is going to have and bring some new, just great energy. It's going to be great. Seriously, I'm I'm really excited and I can't wait to see what happens. But let's move right along to this new episode. And I'm going to be doing something a little bit different this time around. I've been wanting to do something like this for a while anyway. And I don't know what I'm going to title it just yet. I'm going to figure that out after I do this. But what I'm going to do is extract some gems from those who have already passed, from those who are no longer in the realm of the living, and with with respect, of course. And in doing so, I want to get a sliver of a glimpse into how each one of them may have viewed life. I'll be narrating quotes retrieved from the World Wide Web, and just giving, like, at first, giving little succinct summaries taking, taken from none other than Wikipedia. So if you have a problem with that, uh, you know, I mean, t- let me know. Let me know if it's uh, if I get anything wrong or if there's there needs to be some corrections and uh, some of the, the historical facts there or if a quote is misquoted, etc., etc. I can go ahead and, you know, make a correction. No problem at all. Let me know. Anyway, we will be hearing from. Oh, and I say that in quotes. Hearing from today, obviously, because um, these people uh, are no longer alive. But moving right along, Marcus Aurelius, Harriet Tubman, finds them and kills them. Yes, that is. It's a good one. How do you pronounce this? Hold on. Is it Mirabai? Hold on. Let me let me let me look into this. Say it again. Mirabai. Mirabai. All right, so it is. It's, uh, pretty, I think I got it pretty much pretty well. Anyway, it's Mirabai. Mirabai, William Lloyd Garrison, Aaron Swartz, Amina, the Queen of Zarya, Nelson Mandela, Robin Williams, Jalaladin Muhammad Rumi, Ya Asintewa, Chief Joseph, Helen Keller, Maya Angelo, and Charlie Chaplin. And here we go with chapter one, Marcus Aurelius. And this is once again from Wikipedia. Among Roman emperors, he has been called the philosopher. He was a practitioner of Stoicism and his personal philosophical writings, which later came to be called meditations, are a significant source of the modern understanding of ancient Stoic philosophy. They are considered by many commentators to be one of the greatest works of philosophy. Now, Here are some quotes from Goodreads and from Meditations. I'm just going to go right through them. I'm not going to say quote, unquote, quote, quote, quote for every one of them. So here we go. You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. 
If you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. When you arise in the morning, think of what a privilege it is to be alive, to think, to enjoy, to love. It is not death that a man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. Our life is what our thoughts make it. Never let the future disturb you. You will meet it if you have to with the same weapons of reason which today arm you against the present. Very little is needed to make a happy life. It is all within yourself in your way of thinking. The object of life is not to be on the side of the majority, but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. I have often wondered how it is that every man loves himself more than all the rest of men, but yet sets less value on his own opinion of himself than on the opinion of others. Reject your sense of injury and the injury itself disappears. When another blames you or hates you or people voice similar criticisms, go to their souls, penetrate inside and see what sort of people they are you will realize that there is no need to be racked with anxiety that they should hold any particular opinion about you. Here is a rule to remember in the future, when anything tempts you to feel bitter. Not this is misfortune, but to bear this worthily is good fortune. Chapter 2. Harriet Tubman Harriet Tubman was an American abolitionist and political activist. Born into slavery, Tubman escaped and subsequently made some 13 missions to rescue approximately 70 enslaved people, family and friends, using the network of anti-slavery activists and safe houses known as the Underground Railroad. She later helped abolitionist John Brown recruit men for his raid on Harper's Ferry. During the Civil War, she served as an armed scout and spy for the United States Army. In her later years, Tubman was an activist in the struggle for women's suffrage. Born a slave in Dorchester County, Maryland, Tubman was beaten and whipped by her various masters as a child. Early in life, she suffered a traumatic head wound when an irate slave owner threw a heavy metal weight intending to hit another slave and hit her instead. The injury caused dizziness, pain, and spells of hypersomnia, which occurred throughout her life. She was a devout Christian and experienced strange visions and vivid dreams, which she ascribed to premonitions from God. And the quotes. Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember, you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. If you hear the dogs, keep going. If you see the torches in the woods, keep going. If they're shouting after you, keep going. Don't ever stop. Keep going. If you want a taste of freedom, keep going. There are two things I've got a right to, and these are death or liberty. One or the other I mean to have. No one will take me back alive. I shall fight for my liberty, and when the time has come for me to go, the Lord will let them kill me. I've heard Uncle Tom's cabin read, and I will tell you Mrs. Stowe's pen hasn't begun to paint what slavery is as I have seen it at the far south. I've seen the real thing, and I don't want to see it on no stage or in no theater. Never wound a snake. Kill it.
Chapter 3. Finds them and kills them. Alright, for this segment, the sound will be slightly different. The reason being, I found that I was really mispronouncing this person's name. Um, directly translated in Crow, it means finds them and kills them, but her name is actually Oshtish. Uh, Oshtish was a Crow Bade. A Bade is a male-bodied person in a Crow community who lives in the social role of a woman in that culture. The modern pan-Indian term for this third gender role is two-spirit. Oshtish fought in the 1876 Battle of the Rosebud, as recounted by Pretty Shield. During the battle, Oshtish and a woman named the other magpie saved Bullsnake, and Oshtish later shot a Lakota warrior, for which Oshtish received her name. Now, in the 1890s, an American agent named Briscow, tasked with forcing the Plains Indians to assimilate into the dominant culture, jailed Oshtish and the other Bades and forced them to get masculine haircuts, wear masculine clothing, and perform manual labor such as planting trees. The Crow, who considered their Bades valuable members of their community, particularly known for their needlework and cooking, were outraged, saying this abuse went against their nature. Chief Pretty Eagle used what power he had to compel the agent to resign and leave tribal lands. Crow historian Joe Medicine Crow, delivering this oral history in 1982, said, It was a tragedy trying to change them. Oshtish was one of the last known Bades of the Crow Nation, and the institution of the Bade is said to have gone into decline during Oshtish's life. Now, I don't have any quotes from Oshtish, but I wanted to include this because I feel like it's a good exercise to consider all of the talk around gender roles and what's going on uh, just in our society and societies around the world and to, you know, obviously to put our sh uh, ourselves in the shoes of Oshtish and how that must have felt while all that was going on. Let's move on to chapter four. William Lloyd Garrison. William Lloyd Garrison was a prominent American abolitionist, journalist, suffragist, and social reformer. He is best known as the editor of the abolitionist newspaper, The Liberator, which he founded with Isaac Knapp in 1831 and published in Massachusetts until slavery was abolished by constitutional amendment after the American Civil War. He was one of the founders of the American Anti-Slavery Society and promoted immediate emancipation of slaves in the United States. And here are some quotes. I am aware that many object to the severity of my language, but is there not cause for severity? I will be as harsh as truth and as uncompromising as justice. On this subject, I do not wish to think or to speak or write with moderation. No, no. Tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate alarm. Tell him to moderately rescue his wife from the hands of the ravisher. Tell the mother to gradually extricate her babe from the fire into which it has fallen. But urge me not to use moderation in a cause like the present. I am in earnest. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will not retreat a single inch. And I will be heard. I will be as harsh as truth and uncompromising as justice. I am in earnest. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will not retreat a single inch and I will be heard. With reasonable men, I will reason. 
with humane men I will plead, but to tyrants I will give no quarter, nor waste arguments where they will certainly be lost. Be faithful, be vigilant, be untiring in your efforts to break every yoke and let the oppressed go free. Come what may, cost what it may, inscribe on the banner which you unfurl to the breeze as your religious and political motto, no compromise with slavery, no union with slaveholders. Enslave the liberty of but one human being, and the liberties of the world are put in peril. The standard of matrimony is erected by affection and purity, and does not depend upon the height or bulk or color or wealth or poverty of individuals. Water will seek its level, nature will have free course, and heart will answer to heart. To say that everything in the Bible is to be believed simply because it is found in that volume is equally absurd and pernicious. To discard a portion of scripture is not necessarily to reject the truth, but may be the highest evidence that one can give of his love of truth. Wherever there is a human being, I see God-given rights inherent in that being, whatever may be the sex or complexion. And lastly, that which is not just is not law. Lokshmibai, the Rani of Janzi. Man, I hope I pronounced that right. Anyway, Lakshmibai was the queen of the princely state of Janzi in North India, currently present in Janzi district in Uttar Pradesh, India. She was one of the leading figures figures of the Indian Rebellion of 1857 and became a symbol of resistance to the British Raj for Indian nationalists. Now, I don't have any quotes from her directly, but I do have some from those who fought either alongside or against her. So here is this one from Cornet Combe, 3rd Bombay Light Cavalry. She is a wonderful woman, very brave and determined. It is fortunate for us that the men are not all like her. Did you get that? It's a good one. Let me read it again. She is a wonderful woman, very brave and determined. It is fortunate for us that the men are not all like her. Combe evidently was one of those who intercepted her flight from Jonzi. Um, next one. This is uh, taken from the Regimental History of the Eighth Hussars. In her death, the rebels... Let me start that again. In her death, the rebels lost their bravest and best military leader. The 8th Hussars are most probably the unit responsible for her death, evidently taken from this, this website. Here's another one from uh, the officer commanding the force that took Jonzi and Gwalior. The Rani was remarkable for her bravery, cleverness, and perseverance. Her generosity to her subordinates was unbounded. These qualities, combined with her rank, rendered her the most dangerous of the rebel leaders. All right, next up, chapter six, Aaron Swartz. Aaron Swartz was an American computer programmer, entrepreneur, writer, political organizer, and internet hacktivist. He was involved in the development of the web feed format, RSS, and the Markdown publishing format, the organization Creative Commons, and the website frameworkweb.py, and was a co-founder of the social news site Reddit. 
He was given the title of co-founder by Y Combinator owner Paul Graham after the formation of Not a Bug Incorporated, a merger of Aaron's project, Infogami, and a company run by Alexis Ohanian and Steve Huffman. Swartz's work also focused on civic awareness and activism. He helped launch the Progressive Change Campaign Committee in 2009 to learn more about effective online activism. In 2010, he became a research fellow at Harvard University's Safra Research Lab on Institutional Corruption, directed by Lawrence Lessig. He founded the online group Demand Progress, known for its campaign against the Stop Online Piracy Act. In 2011, Swartz was arrested by Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, police on state breaking and entering charges after connecting a computer to the MIT network in an unmarked and unlocked closet and setting it to download academic journal articles systematically from JSTOR using a guest user account issued to him by MIT. Federal pop, federal, Federal prosecutors later charged him with two counts of wire fraud and 11 violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, carrying a cumulative maximum penalty of $1 million in fines, 35 years in prison, asset forfeiture, restitution, and supervised release. Supervised release. Swartz declined a plea bargain under which he would have served six months in federal prison. Two days after the prosecution rejected a counteroffer by Swartz, he was found dead in his Brooklyn apartment, where he had hanged himself. In 2013, Swartz was inducted posthumously into the Internet Hall of Fame. Here are the quotes. Be curious. Read widely. Try new things. What people call intelligence just boils down to curiosity. People shouldn't be forced to categorize themselves as gay, straight, or bi. People are just people. Maybe you're mostly attracted to men. Maybe you're mostly attracted to women. Maybe you're attracted to everyone. These are historical claims, not future predictions. If we truly want to expand the scope of human freedom, we should encourage people to date who they want, not just provide more categorical boxes for them to slot themselves into. A man who has mostly dated men should be just as welcome to date women as a woman who's mostly dated men. So that's why I'm not gay. I hook up with people. I enjoy it. Sometimes they're men, sometimes they're women. I don't see why it needs to be any more complicated than that. Growing up, I slowly had this process of realizing that all the things around me that people had told me were just the natural way things were. The way things always would be, they weren't natural at all. There were things that could be changed, and they were things that, more importantly, are wrong and should change. And once I realized that, there was really no going back. Real education is about genuine understanding and the ability to figure things out on your own. Not about making sure every 7th grader has memorized all the facts some bureaucrats have put in the 7th grade curriculum. Chapter 7. Ya. Asantiwa was born in October 17, 1840, and she died October 17, 1921. She was queen mother of Ejisu in the Ashanti Empire, now part of modern-day Ghana, appointed by her brother Nana Akwasi Afrain Opisi, the 
Edwu. Oh my God, I'm butchering this. Anyway, appointed by her brother, right? Okay. Uh, in 1900, she led the Ashanti War known as the War of the Golden Stool, also known as the Ya Ashantiwa War against British colonialism. Here's a quote. FYI, I am going to get some of these names wrong, but bear with me here. Now, I have seen that some of you fear to go forward to fight for our king. If it were in the brave days of old, the days of Osai Tutu, Okomfu Anoki, and Apolu Ware, chiefs would not sit down to see their king taken away without firing a shot. No white man could have dared to speak to chiefs of the Ashanti in the way the governor, governor spoke to you chiefs this morning. Is it true that the bravery of Ashanti is no more? I cannot believe it. Ye, it cannot be. I must say this. If you, the men of Ashanti, will not go forward, then we will. We, the women, will. I shall call upon my fellow women. We will fight the white men. We will fight till the last of us falls in the battlefields. All right, chapter eight. And I didn't mean for this to be, you know, um, so charged with a lot of oppression and stuff, especially, but uh, at this point in time. Anyway, next one up is Nelson Mandela. Yes, there has been a lot of stuff that has happened in history. Let's go, though. Let's do this. Nelson Mandela was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary, political leader, and philanthropist who served as president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. He was the country's first black head of state and the first elected in a fully representative democratic election. His government focused on dismantling the legacy of apartheid by tackling institutionalized racism and fostering racial reconciliation. Ideologically an African nationalist and socialist, he served as president of the African National Congress Party from 1991 to 1997. Now let's get to some of these quotes. They are good. Let me tell you, they are so good. Nelson Mandela. Okay, quote number one, and on and on. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. When a man is denied the right to live the life he believes in, he has no choice but to become an outlaw. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. It always seems impossible until it's done. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Do not judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Lead from the back and let others believe they are in front. There is no passion to be found playing small and settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. Overcoming poverty is not a task of charity. It is an act of justice. Like slave, 
excuse me. Like slavery and apartheid, poverty is not natural. It is man-made, and it can be overcome and eradicated by the actions of human beings. Sometimes it falls on a generation to be great. You can be that great generation. Let your greatness blossom. As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. It is said that no one truly knows a nation until one has been inside its jails. A nation should not be judged by how it treats its highest citizens, but its lowest ones. Ooh, I like this one. May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. I am the captain of my soul. During my lifetime, I have dedicated myself to this struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination, and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. And lastly, you will achieve more in this world through acts of mercy than you will through acts of retribution. Chapter 9 Robin Williams Robin Williams was an American actor and a comedian. Born in Chicago, Williams started as a stand-up comedian in San Francisco and Los Angeles in the mid-1970s. He is credited with leading San Francisco's comedy renaissance. After rising to fame playing an alien named Mork in the TV sci-fi sitcom series Mork and Mindy, Williams established a career in both stand-up comedy and feature film acting. He was known for his improvisational skills. After his first starring film role in Popeye, 1980, Williams starred or co-starred in various film various films that achieved both critical acclaim and financial success including good morning vietnam dead poet society oh, one of my faves aladdin the birdcage goodwill hunting he also starred in widely acclaimed films such as the world according to garp huh i need to watch that moscow on the hudson awakenings the fisher king one hour photo and world's greatest dad as well as box office hits such as Hook, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, and Night at the Museum. Williams won the 1997 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance as psychologist Sean McGuire in Goodwill Hunting. He also received two Emmy Awards, seven Golden Globe Awards, two Screen Actors Guild Awards, and four Grammy Awards throughout his career. On August 11, 2014, Williams committed suicide at his home in Paradise K, California, at the age of 63. His wife attributed his suicide to Williams' struggle with Lewy body disease. Now let's get on to some of his quotes, which some of which are hilarious and insightful. They're all insightful. And some are more and some are just purely hilarious. Here we go. First one. See, the problem is that God gives men a brain and a penis, and only enough blood to run one at a time. I used to think the worst thing in life is to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. 
You're only given a spark of madness. You mustn't lose it. Please, don't worry so much, because in the end, none of us have very long on this earth. Life is fleeting, and if you're ever distressed, cast your eyes to the summer sky when the stars are strung across the velvety night. And when a shooting star streaks through the blackness, turning night into day, make a wish and think of me. Make your life spectacular. Oh, by the way, a lot some of these are from movies. I think that probably is. I know there's one from Dead Poet Society coming up, but anyway, moving on. Politics. Poly, a Latin word meaning many, and ticks, meaning blood-sucking creatures. Cocaine is God's way of telling you you are making too much money. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love... These are what we stay alive for. And that one is from Dead Poet Society. Here's a good one. People say satire is dead. It's not dead. It's alive and living in the White House. And lastly, many newspapers always talk about how many people have died, but they never say how many people have lived. All right, chapter 10. Jalal Adin Muhammad Rumi, more popularly known as just Rumi. Um, he was a 13th century Persian Sunni Muslim poet, jurist, Islamic scholar, theologian, and Sufi mystic, originally from Greater Khorasan. Rumi's influence transcends national borders and ethnic divisions. Iranians, Tajiks, Turks, Greeks, Pashtuns, other Central Asian Muslims, and the Muslims of South Asia have greatly appreciated his spiritual legacy for the past seven centuries. His poems have been widely translated into many of the world's languages and transposed into various formats. Rumi has been described as the most popular poet and the best-selling poet in the United States. And I am going to read some of these quotes to you, and you'll see why he's so popular. He's got some fire. It's good some it's good stuff. Okay, check it out. Okay. Number 1. I want a troublemaker for a lover, blood spiller, blood drinker, a heart of flame who quarrels with the sky and fights with fate, who burns like fire on the rushing sea. Oh, it's so good. I I'm going to read that one again cuz oh, it's so good. All right, check it out. Man, I'm excited. And by the way, I'm recording this in my closet, which <laughs> may sound kind of, uh, you know, I wish I could say I was in this amazing studio in Manhattan or something, but I'm not. I'm in a closet here. Whatever. Let me read this again, though. I want a troublemaker for a lover, blood spiller, blood drinker, a heart of flame who quarrels with the sky and fights with fate, who burns like fire on the rushing sea. Hmm. So good. But let's continue on. What you seek is seeking you. Sorrow prepares you for joy. It violently sweeps everything out of your house so that new joy can find space to enter. It shakes the yellow leaves from the bow of your heart so that fresh green leaves can grow in their place. It pulls up the rotten roots so that new roots hidden beneath have room to grow. Whatever sorrow shakes from your heart, 
far better things will take their place. Do you know what you are? You are... Let me start that one over again. Do you know what you are? You are a manuscript of a divine letter. You are a mirror reflecting a noble face. This universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself. Everything that you want, you are already that. Like a sculptor, if necessary, carve a friend out of stone. Realize that your inner sight is blind and try to see a treasure in everyone. Moonlight floods the whole sky from horizon to horizon. How much it can fill your room depends on its windows. When someone beats a rug, the blows are not against the rug, but against the dust in it. You think of yourself as a citizen of the universe. You think you belong to this world of dust and matter. Out of this dust, you have created a personal image and have forgotten about the essence of your true origin. Soul, if you want to learn secrets, your heart must forget about shame and dignity. You are God's lover, yet you worry what people are saying. The world's flattery and hypocrisy is a sweet morsel. Eat less of it, for it is full of fire. Its fire is hidden while its taste is manifest, but its smoke becomes visible in the end. This is a very short quote. Woman is the light of God. And the last quote. Love isn't the work of the tender... Let me start it over again. Love isn't the work of the tender and the gentle. Love is the work of wrestlers. The one who becomes a servant of lovers is really a fortunate sovereign. Don't ask anyone about love. Ask love about love. Love is a cloud that scatters pearls. Chapter 11, Lord Byron. Lord Byron was a British was a British nobleman, poet, peer, politician and leading figure in the romantic movement. He is regarded as one of the greatest British poets and remains widely read and influential. Among his best-known works are the lengthy narrative poems Don Juan and Child Harold's Pilgrimage as well as the short lyric poem She Walks in Beauty. He traveled extensively across Europe, especially in Italy, where he lived for seven years in the cities of Venice, Ravenna, and Pisa. During his stay in Italy, he frequently visited his friend and fellow poet Percy Shelley. That's why a lot of times you hear about Byron and Shelley all in the same sentence or discussion. Anyway... Later in life, Byron joined the Greek War of Independence, fighting the Ottoman Empire, for which Greeks revere him as a national hero. He died in 1824 at the age of 36 from a fever contracted in Missolonghi. Often described as the most flamboyant and notorious of the major romantics, Byron was both celebrated and castigated in his life for his aristocratic excesses, which included huge debts, numerous love affairs with both men and women, as well as rumors of a scandalous liaison with his half-sister. One of his lovers, Lady Carolyn Lamb, summed, up, summed him up in the famous phrase, mad, bad, and dangerous to know. His only legitimate child, Ada Lovelace, is regarded as the first computer programmer based on her notes for Charles Babbage's analytical engine. 
Byron's illegitimate children include Allegra Byron, who died in childhood, and possibly Elizabeth Medora Lay. Moving on to Lord Byron quotes. And thus the heart will break, yet brokenly live on. Should I read it? I'm not going to read it in an English accent. It would be fun, but I'm just going to keep going like this. Okay, next one. There is a pleasure in the pathless woods. There is a rapture on the lonely shore. There is a society where none intrudes. By the deep sea and music in its roar. I love not man the less, but nature more. Always laugh when you can. It is cheap medicine. The great object of life is sensation, to feel that we exist even though in pain. If I do not write to empty my mind, I go mad. Death, so-called, is a thing which makes men weep, and yet a third of life is passed in sleep. Then stirs the feeling infinite, so felt in solitude, where we are least alone. I have a great mind to believe in Christianity for the mere pleasure of fancying I may be damned. Love will find a way through paths where wolves fear to pray. A drop of ink may make a million think. Tis strange but true, for truth is always strange, stranger than fiction. Adversity is the first path to truth. I live not in myself, but I become portion of that around me. And to me, high mountains are a feeling, but the hum of human cities torture. I only go out to get me a fresh appetite for being alone. Why I came here, I know not. Where I shall go, it is useless to inquire. In the midst of myriads of the living and the dead worlds, stars, systems, infinity, why should I be anxious about an atom? If I could always read, I should never feel the want of company. Chapter 12 Chief Joseph Chief Joseph led his band of Nez Perce during the most tumultuous period in their history, when they were forcibly removed by the United States federal government from their ancestral lands in the Wallowa Valley of, Valley of northeastern Oregon onto a significantly reduced reservation in the Idaho Territory. A series of violent encounters with white settlers in the spring of 1877 culminated in those Nez Perce who resisted removal, including Joseph, Joseph's band and an allied band of the Palouse tribe, to flee the United States in an attempt to reach political asylum alongside the Lakota people, who had sought refuge in Canada under the leadership of Sitting Bull. At least 700 men, women, and children, led by Joseph and other Nez Perce chiefs, were pursued by the U.S. Army under General Oliver O. Howard in a 1,170-mile fighting retreat known as the Nez Perce War. The skill with which the Nez Perce fought and the manner in which they conducted themselves in the face of incredible adversity earned them widespread admiration from their military opponents and the American public and coverage of the war in U.S. newspapers led to popular recognition of Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce. In October 1877, after months of fugitive resistance, most of the surviving remnants of Joseph's band were cornered in northern Montana territory just 40 miles from the Canadian border. 
Unable to fight any longer, Chief Joseph surrendered to the army with the understanding that he and his people would be allowed to return to the reservation in western Idaho. He was instead transported between various forts and reservations on the southern Great Plains before being moved to the Colville Indian Reservation in the state of Washington, where he died in 1904. Chief Joseph's life remains iconic of the American Indian Wars. For his passionate, principled resistance to his tribe's forced removal, Joseph became renowned as a humanitarian and peacemaker. Still, some modern scholars argue that contemporary coverage, as well as Joseph's own speeches and writings, may have distorted the true nature of his thoughts and given rise to a mythical Chief Joseph, a Red Napoleon, that serves the interests of the Anglo-American narrative of Manifest Destiny. And to the quotes. I believe much trouble and blood would be saved if we opened our hearts more. It does not require many words to speak the truth. The earth is the mother of all people, and all people should have equal rights upon it. Let me be a free man, free to travel, free to stop free to work, free to trade where I choose, free to choose my own teachers, free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to talk, think, and act for myself. And I will obey every law or submit to the penalty. Okay, here's a long one. The earth was created by the assistance of the sun, and it should be left as it was. The country was made with no lines of demarcation, and it's no man's business to divide it. I see the whites all over the country gaining wealth, and I see the desire to give us lands which are worthless. The earth and myself are of one mind. Perhaps you think the Creator sent you here to dispose of us as you see fit. If I thought you were sent by the Creator, I might be induced to think you had a right to dispose of me. Do not misunderstand me, but understand me fully with reference to my affection for the land. I never said the land was mine to do with as I choose. The one who has a right to dispose of it is the one who created it. I claim a right to live on my land and accord you the privilege to return to yours. Brother, we have listened to your talk coming from our father, the great white chief in Washington, and my people have called upon me to reply to you. The winds which pass through these, these aged pines, we hear the moaning of departed ghosts. And if the voice of our people could have been heard, that act would never have been done. But alas, though they stood around, they could neither be seen nor heard. Their tears fell like drops of rain. I hear my voice in the depths of the forest, but no answering voice comes back to me. All is silent around me. My words must therefore be few. I can now say no more. He is silent, for he has nothing to answer when the sun goes down. And the last quote. Whenever the white man treats the Indian as they treat each other, then we shall have no more wars. We shall all be alike, brothers of one father and one mother, with one sky above us and one country around us and one government for all. Then the great spirit chief who rules above will smile upon this land and send rain to wash out the bloody spots made by brothers' hands upon the face of the earth. Chapter 13 Helen Keller 
Helen Keller was an American author, political activist, and lecturer. She was the first deaf-blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. The dramatic depictions of the play and film The Miracle Worker made widely known the story of how Keller's teacher, Anne Sullivan, broke through the isolation imposed by a near-complete lack of language, allowing the girl to blossom as she learned to communicate. Her birthplace in West Tuscumbia, Alabama, is now a museum and sponsors an annual Helen Keller Day. Her birthday on June 27th is commemorated as Helen Keller Day in the U.S. state of Pennsylvania and was authorized at the federal level by presidential proclamation by President Jimmy Carter in 1980, the 100th anniversary of her birth. A prolific author, Keller was well-traveled and outspoken in her convictions. A member of the Socialist Party of America and the Industrial Workers of the World, she campaigned for women's suffrage, labor rights, socialism, anti-militarism, and other similar causes. She was inducted into the Alabama Women's Hall of Fame in 1971 and was one of the 12 inaugural inductees to the Alabama Writers Hall of Fame on June 8, 2015. Now for the quotes. When one door of happiness closes, another opens. But often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one which has been opened for us. Death is no more than passing from one room into another. But there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room I shall be able to see. One can never consent to creep when one feels an impulse to soar. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. The most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. Never bend your head. Hold it high. Look the world straight in the eye. The highest result of education is tolerance. A bend in the road is not the end of the road, unless you fail to make the turn. Everything has its wonders, even darkness and silence, and I learn, whatever state I may be in, therein to be content. Many persons have a wrong idea of what constitutes true happiness. It is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. And the last quote. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Let me repeat that last line. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Chapter 14. Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou was an American poet, singer, memoirist, and civil rights activist. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poetry, and was credited with a list of plays, movies, and television shows spanning over 50 years. 
she received dozens of awards and more than 50 honorary degrees. Angela is best known for her series of seven autobiographies, which focus on her childhood and early adult experiences. The first, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, tells of her life up to the age of 17 and brought her international recognition and acclaim. She became a poet and writer after a series of occupations as a young adult, including fry cook, sex worker, nightclub dancer and performer, cast member of the opera Porgy and Bess, coordinator for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and journalist in Egypt and Ghana during the decolonization of Africa. She was an actor, writer, director, and producer of plays, movies, and public television programs. In 1982, she was named the first Reynolds Professor of American Studies at the Wake at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She was active in the civil rights movement and worked with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Beginning in the 1990s, she made around 80 appearances a year on the lecture circuit, something she continued into her 80s. In 1993, Angelo recited her poem On the Pulse of Mourning at President Bill Clinton's inauguration, making her the first poet to make an inaugural recitation since Robert Frost at the inauguration of John F. Kennedy in 1961. With the publication of I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, Angelo publicly discussed aspects of her personal life. She was respected as a spokesperson for black people and women, and her works have been considered a defense of black culture. Her works are widely used in schools and universities worldwide, although attempts have been made to ban her books from some U.S. libraries. Angelo's most celebrated works have been labeled as autobiographical fiction, but many critics consider them to be autobiographies. She made a deliberate attempt to challenge the common structure of the autobiography by critiquing, changing, and expanding the genre. Her books center on themes such as racism, identity, family, and travel. Now let's get to some of these quotes. Maya Angelou, she, she had some good ones. Let's get to it. I've learned that people will forget. <laughs> Let me just start over again. Let me start this over. Here we go. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. There were people who went to sleep last night, poor and rich and white and black, but they will never wake again. And those dead folks would give anything at all for just five minutes of this weather or ten minutes of plowing. So watch yourself about complaining. What you're supposed to do when you don't like a thing is change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it. We delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. I love to see a young girl go out and grab the world by the lapels. Life's a bitch. You've got to go out and kick ass. Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. I don't trust people who don't love themselves and tell me I love you. There is an African saying which is, be careful when a naked person offers you a shirt. Success is liking yourself, liking what you do, 
and liking how you do it. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive, and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. Never make someone a priority when all you are to them is an option. You can only become truly accomplished at something you love. Don't make money your goal. Instead, pursue the things you love doing and then do them so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. A woman's heart should be so hidden in God that a man has to seek him just to find her. You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it. You alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. If I am not good to myself, how can I expect anyone else to be good to me? Stepping onto a brand new path is difficult, but not more difficult than remaining in a situation which is not nurturing to the whole woman. Everything in the universe has a rhythm. Everything dances. Bitterness is like cancer. It eats upon the host. But anger is like fire. It burns it all clean. Most people don't grow up. Most people age. They find parking spaces, honor their credit cards, get married, have children, and call that maturity. What that is, is aging. I don't trust anyone who doesn't laugh. Here's a longer one. I don't know if I continue, even today, always liking myself. But what I learned to do many years ago was to forgive myself. It is very important for every human being to forgive herself or himself because if you live, you will make mistakes. It is inevitable. But once you do and you see the mistake, then you forgive yourself and say, well, if I'd known better, I'd have done better. That's all. So you say to people who think you may have injured, I'm sorry. And then you say to yourself, I'm sorry. If we all hold on to the mistake, we can't see our own glory in the mirror because we have the mistake between our faces and the mirror. We can't see what we're capable of being. You can ask forgiveness of others, but in the end, the real forgiveness is in one's own self. I think that young men and women are so caught by the way they see themselves. Now mind you, when a larger society sees themselves as unattractive, as threats, as too black or too white or too poor or too fat or too thin or too sexual or too asexual, that's rough. But you can overcome that. The real difficulty is to overcome how you think about yourself. If we don't have that, we never grow, we never learn, and sure as hell, we should never teach. And the last quote, be present in all things and thankful for all things. Last chapter, chapter 15, Charlie Chaplin. Sir Charles Spencer Chaplin 
was an English comic actor, filmmaker, and composer who rose to fame in the era of silent film. Chaplin became a worldwide icon through his screen persona The Tramp and is considered one of the most important figures in the history of the film industry. His career spanned more than 75 years, from childhood in the Victorian area until a year before his death in 1977, and encompassed both adulation and controversy. Chaplin's childhood in London was one of poverty and hardship. As his father was absent and his mother struggled financially, he was sent to a workhouse twice before the age of nine. When he was 14, his mother was committed to a mental asylum. Chaplin began performing at an early age, touring music halls and later working as a stage actor and comedian. At 19, he was signed to the prestigious Fred Carnell Company, which took him to America. Chaplin was scattered for the film industry and began appearing in 1914 for Keystone Studios. He soon developed the Tramp persona and formed a large fan base. Chaplin directed his own films from an early stage and continued to hone his craft as he moved to the SNA Mutual and First National Corporations. By 1918, he was one of the best-known figures in the world. In 1919, Chaplin co-founded the distribution company United Artists, which gave him complete control over his films. His first feature length was The Kid, followed by A Woman of Paris, The Gold Rush, and The Circus. He refused to move to sound films in the 1930s, instead producing City Lights and Modern Times without dialogue. Chaplin became increasingly political, and his next film, The Great Dictator, satirized Adolf Hitler. The 1940s were a decade marked with controversy for Chaplin, and his popularity declined rapidly. He was accused of communist sympathies, while his involvement in a paternity suit and marriages to much younger women caused scandal. An FBI investigation was opened, and Chaplin was forced to leave the United States and settle in Switzerland. He abandoned the tramp in his later films, which include Monsieur Verdot, Limelight, A King in New York, and A Countess from Hong Kong. Chaplin wrote, directed, produced, edited, starred in, and composed the music for most of his films. He was a perfectionist, and his financial independence enabled him to spend years on the development and production of a picture. His films are characterized by slapstick combined with pathos, typified in the tramp's struggles against adversity. Many contain social and political themes, as well as autobiographical elements. In 1972, as part of a renewed appreciation for his work, Chaplin received an honorary Academy Award for the incalculable effect he has had in making motion pictures the art form of this century. He continues to be held in high regard, with The Gold Rush, City Lights, Modern Times, and The Great Dictator often ranked on industry lists of the greatest films of all time. Now, for the last portion of this episode, I'm not going to read off any quotes. Instead, I'm going to play a clip from The Great Dictator. This clip is called Final Speech, and I believe it holds a lot of weight, and I hope you can see the relevancy. I hope you can really take some time right now. Hopefully you're not if you're driving, maybe listen to this even later. But this speech is something I think uh, it's good to let it sink in. Let the words, really feel the words, feel what he's saying. 
without further ado, here we go. And I will leave the podcast episode to end with that. And then I'll talk to you next week. Unless we have a new host, which is a possibility. I don't know for sure. We'll see. All right. Take care and enjoy the final speech from The Great Dictator by Charlie Chaplin. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate, only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power, the power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Yeah!